Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. So, today we're going to be looking at uh, week number three of our series of studying uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be looking at the quote of, uh, that Jesus says, which is, you will see greater things than these. So we're going to start by doing a brief overview of our semester and our series. It's hard with this mic. I can't turn and look, but we'll make do. So we're learning that Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary uh, mission. And these are the things that we've looked about, looked at and what a disciple is and what a disciple is called to, to faith in Jesus Christ, to follow after Jesus Christ and obey him, to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and tell others about him. And then last week, Dale added to that, uh, to family in Christ's church. So this is going to be our context for our passage today. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And I took a note from Hunter. I said, Hunter, how can I get popular with the men at the men's breakfast? And he said, just put a map on the screen. So if it works for Hunter, I hope it works for me. And I also took this from Hunter. Watch this. Wow. <laughs> so this is going to show us where we are today. Up in that, in that top right in the box, you'll see a city, and it is named um, Bethsaida. And so Bethsaida is the city that Philip is from, the city that Andrew is from, and the city that Peter is from. And then to the left of the city, you'll see Capernaum. And that's where we believe that they were actually running their fishing business out of, and where they were going, uh, you know, going out on the boats to actually go and fish. And so that's where we are going to pick up our story today. That's where we're going to look at Jesus Christ calling more of his disciples and this, this quote of greater things than these. And so if you could open your Bible to John 1, verses 43 to 51, I'm going to read that for us right now. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. <coughs> Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip's called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Please bow your heads for a word and prayer with me before we get into this text. Heavenly Father, we just come, just humbled, God, humbled that as your creation and as your servants, that you actually want to talk to us, that you give us your word that we can know you better. Humbled that you became the son of man who died and rose again on the cross just to be in relationship with us. Father, we just ask that you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your word today, that this word not just be an exercise in, in knowledge, but an exercise in, in following you and being better disciples, God, and being better disciple makers for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 
So we start in the story and we look at, oh, that would have been nice. Oops. So we start and we look at these three things that Jesus is doing. Find, tell, and invite. So we're going to start with find. We start in this passage with the image of people being found, the image of Jesus Christ actually going and finding disciples. It starts a little bit before our passage, as we can see in verse 39, which isn't from today's passage, but it says that, um, it says, and he looked at uh, 39, and he said to him, come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for a day. Sorry, I'm getting myself confused. That's not the first found. <laughs> but in verse 41, he found, Andrew found his brother Simon. And he tells Simon, we have found the Messiah. In 43, he finds Philip. And then in 45, Philip finds Nathaniel. And he says, we have found the one that Moses has written about. And so from very early on, we see that Jesus is doing his ministry by going out and finding people. And this is also the method of the early church. The early church actually went out to find people. It's also the concept of God's very mission to us, that God is a God that pursues us. He's not a God that just looks at us in the distance and waits for us to come to him. He's a God that wrote himself into our story. The very life of Jesus Christ is testimony to that God is a God that wants to find his people. And once he saw his people, and he saw that we couldn't save ourselves, he came to earth, being born of a virgin, being born a man, to come and find us. The next thing we see here is to tell, to tell someone of who Jesus is. I think there's this old adage that I'm sure many of us have heard, and that's, you know, go and proclaim the gospel or go and, and do good deeds every day. Proclaim the gospel every single day, and sometimes, when necessary, even use your words. So am I the only one that's ever heard that before? Have you heard something like that? Dick Woodward. Yeah. So I think that that's a very awesome, awesome adage that for us, that we should be going and actually having actions that proclaim the gospel. But it's not entirely what we see in Scripture, is it? What we see in Scripture is not just going and doing good deeds, which James teaches us that faith without good, good deeds is dead, but there's a need to actually tell people why you're doing what you're doing. You know, Philip didn't go back to Nathaniel and just start acting differently and hope that Nathaniel said, what's different about you? Yet sometimes that's what we feel like we want to do. We don't want to go and actually tell somebody who Jesus is. We want to go and act kind and be generous and then wait for them to say, hey, Max, something's different about you. You didn't used to give away money like that or something, or you didn't used to just pour out like that. What's different? And then say, well, have you heard of Jesus Christ? The example that we have from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry is disciples go, they find others, and they tell them of who Jesus Christ is. So for Andrew telling Simon, he says, look, I have found, we have found the Messiah. We have found Jesus Christ, the Messiah who's been promised of us. And for Philip, he went and he told Nathaniel, who have we found? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so this early model of discipleship making, this early model of growth of the Christian church is going, finding, and telling. Something else that I was 
that I was thinking about as I, as I was reading this text is I feel like there's always this dilemma between churches or models of ministry or models of discipleship making. And the way that we word it is the go and tell or the come and see. And we, we like to kind of say that there are two even different kinds of church. The missional church is training its disciples and training its congregants to go and tell and make disciples. And the attractional church is saying, just go and bring them here. Have them come and see. And we'll do, we'll do the discipleship making here at the church for you. But what we have in Scripture is both. It's not a go and tell and that's it. But it's not a come and see and that's it. It's go, tell, now come and see. And so there we see the invite. And, and both Andrew and Philip had that invite to Simon and then to Nathaniel. Come, see the Messiah. Come, see he who was written about by the prophets. So that's at the very end. He said, or in 39, Jesus said to them, come and you will see. And then Philip said, come and see. Now, we go into looking at a deeper look into who Nathaniel was and Nathaniel's response to Philip. Nathaniel was skeptical. So if you're like me, maybe this is something that we've been aware of, that we are to go and make disciples, but it's very challenging. And in my own life, it's something that I've been trying to work on a lot recently. But what I've noticed is oftentimes before I'll go and tell somebody of who Jesus is, I want to know that they're already seeking. I want to know that they're already interested in, in spirituality or Christianity or even Jesus Christ before I'm willing to just go and tell them who Jesus is and invite them into this community. But what we see here is Nathaniel was not seeking. Nathaniel was not interested in, in Jesus Christ. Nathaniel didn't want to know any of this. He was skeptical. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And from there, he went to belief. Rabbi, you are the son of God. And so what we have here is a challenge of who we're willing to go and tell. Are we not willing to go and tell somebody because we're afraid that they may be skeptical? Because Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ is able to move anyone from their skepticism to belief. And what I love about this is I think we see a good example of, of God speaking into our very culture right now. Um, Nathaniel's complaint about Jesus Christ is that he's from Nazareth. He had preconceived notions of a group of people based on where they were from before he had even met Jesus. And because of that, he wanted to discount him and say, nothing good can come from there. Nothing good can come from that people or from that land. And if Nathaniel had been stuck in that and not come and see, he would have missed out on the Messiah just because of a preconceived notion of who a group of people were. That's sad. What we also see here is Jesus's response to that in a way. Jesus gets labeled as from Nazareth and the early church also gets labeled as that church from Nazareth. But where was Jesus from? Bethlehem. Sure, he lived in Nazareth for a while, but Jesus is from Bethlehem. And had people been more willing to say, this is Jesus from Bethlehem, immediately it would have brought into mind these prophecies of grandeur, the town of David, where we were promised the Messiah. 
But did Jesus correct Nathanael? Or did he correct Philip and say, no, 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 you got it wrong. I'm not from Nazareth. I lived there for a little bit. I'm really from Bethlehem, this awesome city. You've heard of it? Yeah, David was there. None of that. He, instead of trying to say, Philip or Nathaniel, maybe you shouldn't think of people from Nazareth this way. He said, I'll let you think I'm from Nazareth and I'll completely rewrite the wirings of your mind. I'll challenge your belief on what can come from Nazareth and the good that could come from there. And I'll let you, you still say that I'm from there, even though I'm from Bethlehem. It would have been too easy for him to just correct it and then never address the skepticism that Nathaniel had just because of where he believed Jesus was from. I think we also have another example of Jesus becoming the ordinary here. Again, he didn't want to refer to himself as from Bethlehem. He let himself be called from Nazareth. He wasn't so caught up in his status. He wanted to be this ordinary man, this approachable man. And so I love that. So here we see that an encounter with Jesus Christ by finding someone, by telling someone, and by inviting them to see Jesus Christ, you can move somebody who's, God can move somebody who's already skeptical of who he is into belief of him. And what was it that, that convinced Nathaniel? It was that Jesus knew him. He knew him. And it wasn't this knowing him of like, I know who you are and who your father is. I've met you before. It was this, this claim of his nature, of his very personality. What he said is, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It wasn't this, I know what sports you played when you were younger. Uh, I've, I know what job you do. It was, I know your soul. I know your heart. And Nathaniel was so taken back. And that's something that we also get to experience. We get to experience a God that knows our soul, that knows our heart, and says, you know, Nathaniel was a sinner too, but in Nathaniel, he saw no deceit. And when he looks at our heart, that he's washed clean, he sees no deceit as well. And that's a beautiful thing. So from there, we move into what follows knowing Jesus. I think so often what we see is that people will make a proclamation of faith or a first repentance to the Lord. And then we say, you're a believer. Awesome, we're proud of you. Good luck out there. That's not what the Christian walk is about. The Christian walk is about continued repentance and continued growth. What we looked at when we looked at what is a disciple, part of that was sanctification, being made holy. And so this, this Nathaniel's call to faith, Nathaniel believing in who Jesus Christ is, wasn't all that Jesus had for him. He didn't just say, okay, you're good to go. He said, let's move you from where you are and continue growing you in faith. And so here, here we see that our faith is not just based on our repentance, it's continued, continued calling. And what are we called to do in our faith? We're called to witness. We're called to witness to others, and then we're called to witness great things. So that witness to others, that cycle of go, tell, invite. And I think that it's so important that we remember the invite part and the tell part, because it's never our power, it's never our authority that can move somebody from skepticism to belief, and it's never gonna be our power that can truly save somebody. It always has to go back to Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Jesus Christ is the son of man. And we have to tell people that, and then we have to invite them to experience that. But also, Jesus Christ's work is not done in us when we come to faith. Jesus Christ is calling us, calling Nathaniel, to see greater things than these. And the great and, and he didn't say this to kind of trick Nathaniel into faith, right? It was after Nathaniel made the claim that he said, um, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then he said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will, you will see greater things than these? And so that's our other calling as believers. We have this calling to see greater things than these. <clears throat> so something about my own life recently is I got married a few months ago, which has been great. Uh, it's been a little over, I guess, closing in on four months of marriage. Um, strongly recommend. <laughs> but while it's been great, it hasn't been the easiest four months for us. Uh, we had a COVID wedding, so our wedding was canceled. Uh, we were supposed to go to Jamaica, which would have been great. Um, maybe one day I'll go. We, we went to Charleston instead for our little mini honeymoon, which was fantastic. But what did happen is we got back from our honeymoon. We came back to Williamsburg, and then a day later, we took a trip to the ER. And we found out that my wife has a pretty extensive blood clot that starts under her clavicle and goes all the way under her armpit. And that's pretty scary. And so we spent a day and a half in the ER and started figuring that out. And, you know, our first night that we were supposed to spend in our house, I spent on the couch in the hospital uh, getting woken up at 3 a.m. to my wife getting stomach injections of blood thinner. It was a scary place to be one week into marriage. And then from that, we've gone down this journey of, of trying to figure out why these things are happening and understand what's happening in our health. And what we were told is, um, you know, day seven or eight of being married, hey, your wife has lupus. And we're pretty young. We have no idea what that means. So we started doing research, and that's pretty scary. And that felt like a lot to be put on us along with everything else that's happening in this world. And so we just started this journey of coping and learning and struggling in our faith because of this and experiencing tremendous growth in the Lord in, in figuring out why he's doing the things that he's doing in our life. But what they also told us is that you can't be diagnosed with lupus until you test positive for three months. And so three and a half months ago, we had a date on our calendar for this past Wednesday as the day we would finally really know. But over the past two months, they've continued to do blood work. Positive, positive, positive. And finally, Tuesday night, I was sitting in the chapel with my small group. We were reading from Ephesians, and towards the end of the, of the chapter, it said, um, to him who is able to do far greater than we could possibly ask or imagine. And for the first time in my life, I said, I want to pray for a miracle for myself for my wife. I want to pray for a miracle. And then as I was, went home and I was walking my dog, I had this reflection of the healings that Jesus did over and over and over again in his ministry. And I, it just hit me that every time we see Jesus doing a healing, we see somebody coming to Jesus and saying, heal me. He didn't just walk around finding people and healing them without them asking. 
And so I thought, you know, Kara, let's sit down and let's pray for a miracle. And we got to the doctor's office Wednesday morning and I had to sit in the car because I'm not allowed in. Um, but I get, a, I get a call and she goes, I don't have it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is so amazing. That is so amazing. A miracle. After over two months of testing positive, gone. And at first I didn't believe it, and that I think is a testimony of my own faith, but God is working miracles in our lives. And God worked a miracle in front of Nathaniel, and he said a, he did a miracle of supernatural knowledge. I've never met you before, but I know you. And it blew Nathaniel's mind. But in the same way that after he did a miracle of supernatural knowledge and after he's done a miracle of healing in our lives, he said greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. And the miracles are great. And he does them. But the greater things than these are a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And when he says you will see greater things than these, this is what he actually says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so what he's actually teaching is it goes back to the vision that Jacob had. Jacob, you know, we, we hear about Jacob's ladder. He had this vision of a ladder and angels ascending and descending. But here, the Jacob figure is Christ, the Son of Man. And so what he promises to the disciples what he promises to Nathaniel is the greater things than these are knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. It goes beyond the miracle of supernatural knowledge. It goes beyond the miracle of healings that Jesus will do. It's knowledge of the Son of Man. And who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is this interesting term that comes to us from, from Daniel, actually. And it is this term for the Messiah. But Jesus to chose this one, we believe, because it carried a lot less almost political power than a lot of the other terms from Daniel. A lot of the other terms, the king of kings, has with, carried with it this weight of conquering. And Jesus wanted to call himself the son of man instead, a, a, a posture of humility, of meekness, that draws into, into memory that he is man. And so what are the greater things than these, the things that Jesus Christ wants us to experience and wants us to witness in our own lives, it's knowledge of who he is as the son of man. It's knowledge of Christ as the promised Messiah. It's knowledge of Christ, the fulfillment of the law of Moses and the prophets. It's experiencing and witnessing Jesus who knows our innermost being. And after knowing our innermost being, still humbled himself to be the son of man, knowing our innermost being, still deemed us worthy to die and be resurrected for our sins. It's Christ who paid the price that we could never pay. And so we see that we are being called to witness greater things. And these greater things are really knowledge of who Christ is. And there, are, there will be miracles, but in, in reality, the greatest thing that we could ever possibly witness in our life is knowing our Father and knowing the Son who died and was resurrected for us and experiencing life with the Spirit right now. And so the question we have here is, is will we go out and find someone? Will we tell them of who Jesus Christ is? And then will we invite them to experience greater things? And I think so many of us have probably walked life without Christ at some point. And, and 
this world will tell us what living is. But when I did it, I felt miserable. I, I found myself depressed and anxious and constantly looking for self-worth. And so when I think of knowing Jesus Christ, it really is a greater thing. And so we need to be willing to go out and find somebody, to tell them of who Jesus Christ is, and then invite them to experience greater things with us. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the call that you've placed in our lives to know you. We thank you for the call to witness greater things. And we thank you for the call to witness to others that they may also experience greater things with you, God. We thank you for being a God that knows us and that deems us worthy, that you would die and be resurrected, that we can have a relationship with you, God. We thank you for miracles, but we thank you for the everyday miracle of just being in relationship with you. And so I pray over, over this group of men, God, that this week we may answer that call, answer the call to witness to one another and to witness to others of your glory and your gospel and answer the call to witness greater things as we continue diving deep into our faith to know you better. So we pray all this in your name. Amen.